you're probably wondering, well, what is this series all about? Well, it's about what it means to be rich, to be spiritually rich, materially rich, relationally rich. So we're going to talk about some people in the Bible God described or the Bible described as being rich. We're going to see what happened to them spiritually. Some of them, we're going to see what happened to them financially. We're going to see what they did well and what they didn't do so well. So we're going to learn over the next few weeks about rich folks. Actually, you all, we're going to be learning about us. And later on in the message, I'm going to show you how everybody in here falls in the category of being rich. Now, you may not feel like it sometimes, materially or financially, but when I put this word in context, when you start reading the Bible and and they talk about rich people, materially or financially, you're going to need to put yourself in that scripture. Because guess who God was talking to? People like us. But as you're going to see, the word rich means a whole lot more than material richness and financial richness. And so we're going to delve into that as well. Here's the bottom line. I want you at the end of this series to be rich in every kind of way to be full of the presence of God, to to know that the Lord is meeting all of your needs, and to be able to do God's will in your life financially as well, which that's going to look different for everybody in here. But the bottom line is we're going to talk about rich folks over the next few weeks. You don't want to miss any of these sermons. I'm telling you, they're going to be life-changing. Well, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we come to you thanking you for your goodness, your mercy, your grace. We are nothing without you, Lord. So we come to you asking you to speak to us today through your word. Lord, we submit ourselves to you. We give you our minds, our thoughts, our hearts. Lord, we even give you our paradigms, the ways that we used to think about rich and being rich or wealthy and all of that stuff, Lord, we hand it to you right now. And we ask you to take the way we think, our mentality, and mold it so we can think like you. Father, help us not to be like the world, but to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. So speak to us today through your word. May the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart, Lord, may it be acceptable in your sight. Help me to encourage your people today. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. And amen. Can we give the Lord one more hand clap of praise, everybody? Yes. Rich folks. Well, I want to start off by giving you a short passage.
passage we're going to be hanging out today in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 12, verses 13 through 21. And it's going to be a very simple message, you all, almost like a Bible study, because we're going to walk through every verse in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 12, verses 13 through 21. And I want to read just two quick verses And then we're going to walk through the entire story. And I'm believing that God is going to change your life. The two verses I want to start off with are verses 20 and 21 in Luke chapter 12. I'm going to be reading it from the NIV translation. And it reads, But God said to him, You fool! Man, when God calls you a fool, that's not good. So God said to him, you fool, somebody say fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? Then it goes on to say, this is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. I want to speak to you today. From the subject, rich fool, rich fool. I want you to repeat after me, say, I don't want to be a fool. Now, I know y'all may not be familiar since you all save and sanctified and filled with the Holy Ghost, but I still listen to Luther Vandross, okay? <laughs> And in 1991, Luther Vandross had a song that says, I don't want to be a fool. An incredible song. Now, he was talking about romance. But today, we're going to talk about why you don't want to be a fool when it comes to how you manage, how you think about God's blessings and what he has put in your hands. You do not want to be a fool. Look at your neighbor to your left or to your right. I just want you to tell him this. Say, neighbor, look at him. Don't be a fool. Yes, don't be a fool. Can you imagine Jesus preaching as he often did to large crowds? Hundreds, thousands, Tens of thousands of people would come to wherever Jesus was. Now, they didn't have social media. They didn't have radio and television. But some kind of way, they got the news out because people knew exactly when to show up. Now, some of this was because Jesus was performing so many miracles. He was healing people. The blind could see. The lame could walk. And so he was very popular. So people would come out to check out this guy named Jesus. Some of them sensed that he was the Messiah, that he was God incarnate. But then some of them were just coming for the benefits because they wanted Jesus' hand and not necessarily his heart. In other words, they wanted a handout. They wanted to be blessed. So imagine Jesus preaching the word, thousands of people who are out, are out there listening to him, and then this man works his way through the crowd and interrupts Jesus, you all, while he's preaching, almost like a heckler. Just comes and just interrupts Jesus. That is the context 
that we're going to see today. Jesus was preaching to them about some deep stuff about the Holy Spirit. And then this man just comes and interrupts him right in the middle of his sermon. So let's pick that up in verse 13. Look at what it said. Someone in the crowd said to him, meaning Jesus, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. So someone in the crowd, hey, Jesus, hey, teacher, which means rabbi, rabbi, tell my brother to give me my money. He's not treating me right, Jesus. Because that's what he says. He says, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Now, what's interesting is he didn't call Jesus Lord. He called him teacher. He called him rabbi. You see, again, some people saw Jesus as their Lord and Savior, and some people just saw Jesus as, what can he do for me? What can he tell me? I don't want to embrace Jesus all the way. I just want to get a little something from him when I need him. And that's what this guy was doing. But now, it was very common for teachers, for rabbis to settle family disputes. So this guy was in a family feud. He wanted Jesus to be the judge. He wanted Jesus to be like some of the judges on TV, like People's Court, okay? Or Judge Jesus with his own TV show. And so he says, who appointed me? This is uh, actually, this is the next verse. So let's look at verse 14. I want you to see how Jesus responds to him, y'all. Jesus replied, man, in other words, bro, dude, I mean, he, he, he kind of responded in a way that Jesus normally doesn't respond to people. But Jesus knew, as you'll see, he knew this man's heart. So Jesus didn't respond to him in a real spiritual way. Well, my brother, let me explain to you. He says, dude, man. Who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? In other words, who made me the mediator? Why do you think I want to get in your business? I came here to die for the sins of the world, and you're bringing this trivial matter to me. Now, he didn't say that, but he thought this was very trivial. Jesus is preaching the word. Remember, you all, he's preaching. People's lives, their eternity is hanging in the balance for the people listening to Jesus' words. And this guy's going to come and interrupt him about a dispute that he's having with his brother. If I had to Jenkinize this for you, basically, Jesus is saying, that ain't none of my business. Man, you coming to me with this kind of stuff? So he says, who made me the mediator? Who made me the referee? I'm not trying to get in your business. I'm dealing with a much higher level of kingdom business because I'm dealing with something that will determine your eternal destiny. But this guy brings this trivial matter to Jesus. You see, Jesus knew the heart of the problem was a problem with this man's heart. 
So he got to the heart of the problem, as you're going to see. But the heart of the problem was this man had a problem with his heart. You see, a lot of people come to Jesus just like this man. And we come to church. We come to prayer meetings. And instead of coming to worship and to hear from God, we come because we want to participate in the benefits that Jesus can bring. We want Jesus to fix our lives, to fix our problems instead of fixing our hearts. Jesus wants to do open heart surgery with us first. But a lot of times we seek his hand, what he can do for us, rather than seeking his heart, how he can guide and lead us in everything that we do. So Jesus gets to the crux of the matter concerning this man and concerning the people listening and concerning us today. He's getting ready to talk to us today through these words to this man who interrupted him. Let's look at verse 15. All of a sudden, Jesus goes into another mode. Since the dude interrupted him, he said, okay, now I'm getting ready to hit you hard. He says, look at what he says. He said to them, watch out. Somebody say, watch out. out. Now, when Jesus says, watch out, you better watch out. He says, watch out. In other words, be warned. Listen up. Be on guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist of an abundance of possessions. So Jesus takes this man's question and turns it into a lesson. A lesson that this man, the disciples, and the people listening to him, and us, a lesson that we need to hear, especially us. Because a lot of us have to deal with a whole lot more possessions. And I'm going to talk about that in a minute because you're talking about rich folks? Oh, we are the very people that Jesus wants to hear this message. Because he says, life doesn't consist of an abundance of possessions. And what do we have to do? Guard ourselves against all kinds of greed. We have to watch out. What is greed? Another word for greed, a biblical spiritual word, is covetousness. To covet something. To want it real bad. Let's look at this definition of greed. Greed or covetousness is an insatiable appetite to have more. An insatiable appetite to have more. So you get a nice house, and then you love it, and then after a while, it's not big enough anymore. You want another house in a a better neighborhood. You get a nice car, and it smells good. That new car smell is nothing like it. But after a while, that smell goes away. And then you want the new model. Or maybe the car company comes out with a newer model. 
with a few more gadgets on it. And all of a sudden, we don't like what we have. We're not content with what we have. We want more. And a lot of people live their lives that way. They always want more. They always want to upgrade. They can never become totally content with what they have. They have this insatiable appetite for more. Then they look at what other people have, and then it makes them not appreciate what they have because they get into the comparison game. Oh, they look at what people do on, and, and show on social media. Huh? The Instagram illusion. Yeah, because a lot of those people, it's an illusion. They're faking. That's not their stuff. That's not their car. That's not their house. But then we see people, their highlights on Facebook and on Instagram. And then we look around and we say, well, I don't have that. And we start to feel discontent. And this thing comes in our spirit called greed and covetousness. It's just like drinking water from an ocean, salt water. You're thirsty, and when you drink salt water, you all may not know this, but do you know that salt water makes you more thirsty? It actually doesn't quench your thirst. It makes you more thirsty. So the things of the world, the more we get them, the more, especially if we depend on them for our self-esteem and for our worth, you will never be satisfied with those things. It's just like drinking salt water. And then the Ten Commandments, you all, the Tenth Commandment is, thy shall not covet. Now, what's interesting is some of those commandments say that thy shall not murder, thy shall not commit adultery, and we know those things are wrong. And people who do those things, we look down on, but we don't mind folks coveting. And being greedy, because that's kind of the American way. Bigger, better, more. In fact, you're lauded for it. You are complimented for it. The more we do. So Jesus says, watch out. Watch out. So, as Jesus often does, he turns this situation, the situation into a teaching moment. And he tells a parable. Look at verse 16, the first part of it. And it says, and he told them this parable. Now, let me tell you what a parable is. A parable is a fictitious story told by Jesus to illustrate a spiritual principle. So this is going to illustrate something that you and I need to incorporate in our lives. In this particular parable, Jesus was trying to warn them about the dangers of greed and covetousness. And he's trying to warn us about it as well. All right, let's look at the parable. Verse 16, the second part of it. It says, Jesus told them this parable. Well, here's the beginning of it. It says, the ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. So far, so good. There's nothing wrong with him, this man, being rich. And there's certainly nothing wrong with yielding an abundant harvest. Being compensated for your work, 
being handsomely compensated if you bring extraordinary value to people. People will pay you, and you can do very well adding value to people's lives in whatever career that you are in. So I hope that you all are yielding an abundant harvest, whatever that word abundant means to you, because it's different for everybody in here. But there's nothing wrong with yielding an abundant harvest. But what I want to do is focus on the word rich man. Because a lot of times when we read scripture and we see a person depicted and it says they are rich, automatically, you know what we think? Well, they're not talking about me. We might even skip over it or we might read the passage as if they're talking about people who have billions of dollars or millions of dollars. And we don't read the passage by putting ourselves inside of the passage because we don't feel like that passage is talking to us. Because some of us don't consider ourselves rich. Well, I wrote something down when I was in the back getting ready to come out here. And I just want to look at it right now. Um, If you have heat in the winter. Now, I guarantee you, if I ask you all to raise your hands, 99% of you would raise your hands on each one of these things I'm going to mention. I just want to mention them to you. If you have heat in the winter, all of you do. If you have air conditioning in the summer, if you have a refrigerator, if you have a washer and dryer, if you have a reliable means of transportation, if you have multiple sets of clothing, meaning that you can go a week or two and not have to repeat your clothing. You have different pairs of socks, you have different pairs of shoes, you have different dresses, different um, jackets, different shirts, different underwear, thank God. How about this? If you eat three meals a day, If you have health insurance, if you have a savings account, doesn't have to be a lot, but you just got a little something put aside. And if you do some charitable giving, some charitable giving, I'm not even saying tithing. I'm just saying you give a little money away. If you do those 10 things, those things alone put you in the top 15% of the wealth of the world. I don't think y'all caught that, okay? Rich folks, I don't think y'all caught that. Those things that I just mentioned put you in the top 15% of the wealthiest people in the world. The Bible is not just a book for Americans. Because when we read this, we don't feel rich. We don't feel like God is talking to us. He's talking to the rich people he was talking to back then, but he can't be talking to us because we don't feel rich. But that's because we're comparing ourselves to people on Instagram and YouTube and on TV and billionaires and celebrities. But the Bible is not just written for Americans. The Bible is for the whole world. Jesus died for the whole world. So when the Bible talks about rich folks, it's talking about us because every one of you, unless you are going through an extraordinarily bad season in your life, every one of you in here under the sound of my voice, 
compare it to the wealth of the world, are rich. Hey, rich folks, how y'all doing? (laughs) How y'all doing? And some of y'all don't feel rich, but you are. So he says this rich man yielded an abundant harvest. Well, let's look and see what he did. Uh, Look at what this guy did, y'all. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. So he's looking around, and let's keep reading. Then he said, this is what I will do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and there I will store my surplus grain. We're going to talk about that a little bit later. And then look at what else he says. I'll say to myself, you know when you start talking to yourself a whole lot, guys? That's not good. He said, self, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. Mm, mm, mm. But I want you to see what God said to him in verse 20. But God said to him, you fool. I'm going to tell you what that means in a minute. This very night, your life will be demanded from you. In other words, I'm going to take your life from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? Wow, a powerful passage. That means we need to define what a fool is. Because when the Bible speaks of a fool, it's not speaking of someone's IQ, someone's intelligence. Look at this definition. Very simple. A fool in biblical language is a person who doesn't live by or seek to live by God's principles or precepts. In other words, you don't let the Spirit of God guide you in every area of your life. And when you don't let God's Spirit guide you, that means you are guiding yourself or you're letting the world guide you. And that is foolish, especially when it comes to material possessions, money, wealth, riches, abundance, houses, cars, investments, real estate. Do you operate by God's precepts and principles? But for some reason, you all, we we love to worship God, we love to clap, we love to pray, but when it comes to sometimes material possessions, we handle a lot of our material possessions the same way the world does. We let greed and covetousness take over sometimes. So the rich man in the parable, you all, was a fool because he didn't understand that wealth should be employed, not just enjoyed. Now, you can enjoy it. He was rich, but he wasn't rich towards God, which leads me to the most important question I could ask you today and hopefully help answer it through God's Word. What does being rich toward God mean? How can you and I become rich toward God? Because remember, we're rich folks materially, But that doesn't necessarily mean that you are rich towards God. So let's find out. 
three things I want to point out, and there are many things in this passage. My God, as I was meditating on the scripture, I came up with about 10 things, and I said, well, Lord, I can't do all 10 because that would take about two hours. So I just kind of chose three principles, three things, three thoughts I want you to embrace to think about your life and whether or not you're rich toward God. To be rich toward God, number one, you must give God the glory. Say, I must give God the glory. That means you got to thank God. When God blesses you with an abundant harvest, when God gives you something, the first thing you ought to do is say, thank you, Jesus. Let's talk about this. Give God glory for what? For all the things that he has done. Remember what I said last week. I said what I defined rather what worship is. I said worship is the celebration of God for who he is, for what he has done, and for what he is going to do in your life. So let's look at this again, y'all. Luke chapter 12, verses 16 and 17. Let's look at it. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. Again, there's nothing wrong with you earning money. There's nothing wrong with you earning a lot of money. There's nothing wrong with you earning an abundant harvest. That is not the problem. Here's the problem. This farmer looked at his amazing harvest And he did not see the hand of God. He saw his own effort. This is what I'm going to do. I mean, some of us do the same thing. Instead of seeing the hand of God, we say, oh, now I can buy me a Tesla. I can get me a new house. Now, nothing is wrong with a Tesla or a new house. But is that the first thing? that comes into your mind when God blesses you? Warren Wearsby, he's a great theologian. I want you to look at this statement he says. He says, material blessings of life are either a mirror which we see ourselves or a window through which we see God. A mirror when you see yourself. Ooh, I am so awesome. Look at me. I'm all that. Or a window where you see God. Lord, thank you. This couldn't have happened without you, Lord. Lord, if it wasn't for your grace or your mercy, I wouldn't have this. Do you look at a mirror when God blesses you or do you look out a window and see God? This man only saw himself. Number two, to be rich toward God, you must include God in your plans. Very simple. Include God in your plans. Now let's look at verses 18 and 19 in Luke chapter 12. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and there I will store up my surplus 
grain. All right, look at the next verse. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. Again, there's nothing wrong with having a desire or having to build more barns. That can be wise, that can be prudent. The problem with this man is he didn't say or think about sharing anything he had. The man only thought of himself. Okay, let me show you. Uh, Let's go back to the same verse. Let's look at verse 18. Okay? I'll do, talking about himself. I will tear down my barns. I, then my. See how much he's talking about himself? Then let's look at the next verse. I'll say to myself, you, even though that's you, he's still talking about himself because he's talking to himself. (laughs) Y'all check this out. We see 10 personal pronouns in his response. He said, I six times, my three times, and you one time referring to himself. In other words, it was all about him. How do you know if you're leaving God out of your plans? Here's how you can tell. Here's one of the ways. If God got you completely out of debt, if God blessed you with a windfall, I want to say this right. And you were all of a sudden making big money. You got a big promotion or a big raise. Would you fantasize more about what you could do for yourself or what you would do for God? Which one of those do you sit around and think about, Lord, if you did this for me, here's what I will do for myself. Here's what I will do for me. Or do you sit around and say, Lord, if you do this for me, here's what I will do for you. Okay. If you want to get God's attention, tell him in advance what you will do for his kingdom if he blessed you extraordinarily, because he's already blessed you. Tell him what you would do, Lord, if, if, you, if, you, if you allow my business to take off. Here's what I'm going to do for your kingdom. Lord, if you help me to get this promotion, here's what I'm going to do for your kingdom. Now, is there anything wrong with you doing something for yourself? Absolutely not. But this man only thought about himself. Lastly, to be reached toward God, you must invest in the right place. Invest. Put your money in the right place. One of the reasons it's important for you to invest in the right place is Matthew 6 21 says, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Your 
heart will gravitate to wherever you continually and constantly and consistently put your money. You don't care about the stock market if you don't have money in the stock market. But if you have money in the stock market and you hear that the stock market crashed, you care about it. But the reason you care about it is because you have money there. So you have an affection for the stock market because your money is there. Your treasure is there and your heart follows. Jesus said, wherever you put your treasure, that's where your heart's going to be. And here's the deal. A lot of us have our treasures in worldly things. And I'm not saying those things are wrong. But when we look at how much of our treasure is going toward worldly things and our affection is going toward worldly things versus our affection going toward the kingdom, sometimes God says, You might be a rich fool. So let's look and see what he said. Luke 12, 20 and 21, as we come to our close. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded of you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? Guys, whatever we accumulate, we can't take it with us. Either it will leave us or we will leave it. There are no hearst pulling around U-Hauls, okay? You can't take it with you. So the way you become rich toward God is you invest it in heaven. You invest it before you. So he ends with this, you all. This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. You all, that is so important. I want to read it slow. If he had said, this is how it will be with whomever stores up things for themselves, period, we would all be in trouble because we've all stored up things for ourselves for a 401k, for retirement, for savings, for investments. He's not saying that that is wrong. That's why he says, but if you do these things, you also need to be rich toward God. And here is the problem A lot of our earthly bank accounts look really good, but our heavenly bank accounts, some of them have a zero balance. Some of our heavenly bank accounts have insufficient funds. That's what God is after. He's saying it's okay to do this, it's okay to do that, but while you're doing this and doing that, make sure you're rich toward God. Because if you're not If you're rich over here and you're not rich over here, then he says that's foolish because you're accumulating over here and your life may be over tomorrow or next week. Then who's going to get what you have? So you all, God wants you to be rich toward him. All right, what does rich toward God mean? I want to end with this. It means to acknowledge gratefully that everything we have comes from God. 
And then it's this. And then make a concerted effort to use what he gives us for the good of others and the glory of God. I want to end with that, you all. In fact, I want to end with this quick story. A pastor was invited to one of his members' homes. This was a very wealthy parishioner, and he invited the pastor over to his palatial mansion. And um, after the meal, the wealthy man took the pastor out on the front porch, and he started boasting to the pastor about how much money he had. He said, Pastor, 25 years ago, I was broke. But now, Pastor, all of this land that you see from all directions, it's mine. He said, when you look to the east, Pastor, all those oil wells, they're all mine. He says, when you look to the north, Pastor, and you see all those grains of wheat, they're all mine. He said, Pastor, when you look to the west and you see all the huge herds of cattle, Pastor, you see those? They're all mine. He said, Pastor, when you look to the south and you see the beautiful forest, they're all mine. He said, Pastor, I've done really good for myself. The pastor said this, y'all. He says, uh, I see what you have to the east and the west. I see what you have in the north and the south. And God has certainly been good to you. He said, but I'm more interested about what you have up there, not down here. So ladies and gentlemen, God wants to know, what do you have up there? Not just down here. Don't be a rich fool. Let's pray. Father, we come to you thanking you for this poignant, convicting word. You're not saying that we can't enjoy an abundant harvest. More money, more material things, more influence. You're not saying that is wrong, but what you are saying that if we have that and we're not rich toward God, then we are acting like the rich fool. So Lord, I'm praying that you will grab our hearts because the lure of greed and covetousness is so strong, especially in this world today. Help us to keep our eyes on you to serve you in every area of our lives, especially with our money and material possessions. Lord, I'm praying for those who need, because of this message, you're convicting about their giving. I'm praying that they won't allow the devil to talk them out of it, or they won't allow their circumstances to scare them. Father, I'm praying that as they step out on faith and obey you and whatever you're telling them to do regarding their giving, that you will bless them, that you will comfort them, that you will multiply their giving back to them. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.
and amen. Let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise, everybody.